matching kickers off the G2s, and then just a bunch of trash coming off the bases off the backs of the Brow Dines. everybody welcome to the Hoyt bow hunting podcast i'm your host danny ferris with my sidekick evan williams here today and uh today we've got bailey Patton, and we're going to be talking about something that bailey Patton pulled off here recently um year before last bailey Patton killed a 200 inch buck in kansas and uh, that was your first one right bailey was that your first 200 incher yes sir yep and then he followed it up this year, taking another 200 inch buck in Kansas. And uh, like, just for those of you that uh, when you're talking about 200 inch whitetail bucks, just laying eyes on one, one time in your career is, is special, you know, and unless you're just in a completely premium place that you know, turns out those kind of deer odds are you're probably, you might not ever see one in an entire bow hunting career, but Bailey has taken two of them back to back. We're going to talk to him about that experience, how that all went down. How's it going, Bailey? Thanks for joining us today. It's going well. Thanks for having me. Good, man. Good. So, so tell us about this a little bit. I know you and Evan were talking offline just a little bit before I jumped on here. Um, I had a couple of things to take care of, but uh, you were flashing uh, one of these racks up. Um, and for those of you listening, we know that you guys don't have the video. Um, Bailey on Instagram is underscore BP underscore four underscore. Um, and it's Bailey Patton, P-A-T-T-I-N. You go to Instagram, you can see a couple pictures of these bucks. Um, this rack that he just held up in front of us is freaking amazing. What is, what is the I, I always basic measurement state. on that dang thing? What Iowa's a great state. <laughs> Evan is from Kansas, everybody, and he would just assume us talk about these big bucks coming from Iowa just to avoid the rush into Kansas. Yeah, so um, the base measurements on this one, from this year were seven and six eighths on one side and seven and a half on the other. So, I mean, Man. just, just ginormous. Um, and you know, that's something that I didn't really see on trail cam pictures. Um, you know, I knew he was a great buck, huge frame, yeah. had pictures of him last year. Um, we, we thought he was four and a half last year could have been five and a half, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I tagged out on the, on the previous 200, last year. So it was kind of like, well, let's see if he can make it through yeah, and, and see what he can turn into. Um, so yeah, he had, I think like 48 inches of mass oh, with his, his four, four measurements on each, each side. Um, and then he's got 15 inch, inches of extras just coming off. So, you know, when you get those kind of numbers, it's, it's just going to help regardless. And then just with a good frame. And, I yeah. and he's on a typical 10 frame, right? Bay? That's yep. what we saw. Yep. Typical 10 frame. He's got, um, two kickers coming right off the front, uh, right below the brow tines. And those are about three inches each, uh, kind of look like secondary, you know, horns coming off the front. It's, it's, it's a yeah. cool little character he's got. And he's got, um, matching kickers off the G twos 
and then just a bunch of trash come off the bases off the backs of the brow dines. Wow. <laughs> how Bailey, how big is your, your family farm that you guys are on? So, um, we have, so we don't actually own the farm up North. It's, it's a family friends. We pretty much manage it. Okay. Um, and we've kind of been given the reins to do that. And you know, they, they love to see the, the habitat improvement stuff. Um, it's a place my dad's been going to. They used to pheasant hunt up, up there, um, when he was a kid. And so they never really deer hunted it. And so about six years ago, you know, we started getting serious into habitat management, deer management, and, um, you know, just giving back more than, more than we take. And so last year's deer, um, that's where I shot him this year's 200 was actually on a different place. Um, uh, so this is just a permission piece I have. And I've had, um, you know, this, the permission piece. So actually I got picked up a new permission piece this year. That's neighboring the permission piece I've had for six or seven years now. Um, and so it's, so yeah, two different farms on this one. Um, but like I said, like I said, I've had that other permission piece right next to where I shot this one. You know, it's, it's within 500 yards. I can see my, my other stands from the stand I shot this one in, but I've had it for about seven years. So it's been a good place. How much, how much acreage between those two? Um, the original piece I had was probably, you know, 80 acres, but I bet you 60 of it's tillable. So okay, prob- at that original piece, I was probably only hunting 20 acres huntable. And then the, the new piece I picked up, I think it's right at 200 acres. Mm, okay. So it's, it's, and it's gorgeous, a gorgeous piece. Um, so what, what are the kind of bow hunting pressure does that see? Um, really none Just from, what I, from what I know. Um, I know there's some rifle hunting around. I was actually, I think it'd be four years ago. Now I had turned out to be 199 inch typical 12 <clears throat> who I was chasing for, for two years. And he ended up getting shot in rifle season. Um, uh-huh. but he's a gorgeous buck. Um, uh-huh. and so at least I know that he was taken. So <laughs> I wasn't losing any more sleep over where he went. Um, well, and, and to know that genetics are there. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Well, that's half the battle. I yeah. mean, you know, like <laughs> what a lot of people don't realize is there's the vast majority of deer out there. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to top out at five years old. And most of them, I mean, some of them can grow to be 140s. Some can be 150s. Some can be 160s here in Eastern Colorado. We've got that one that we were hunting for the last eight years Um, and he's an eight point and he's, you know, he's not a huge eight point. I think he's put on mass over the years. They hadn't put on really much length at all. And I think that he's probably maybe high one forties. Yeah. And he's like 10 years old, you know, and you've got to be, you've got to be hunting in a place where genetically they can do it. You yep. know what I mean? Um, to back up and tell us about the first buck. Like, yeah. how long have you been hunting that piece? You said it's a that that one's a, a family piece. It's been yeah. around for a long time. You used to yeah. pheasant hunt it, and yep, started doing some uh, some uh, land management on there. What were you doing to the property? Yeah. So uh, getting back to that, so Dad and my uncle they used to go up there and pheasant hunt. You know, it's a lot of CRP. Actually, that the farm has everything you need. It's got great CRP. It's got ag on it and it's got, um, you know, for that area, it's got big timber, 
you know, yeah. a lot, a lot of surrounding places, just pretty much ag. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may get a few little Creek bottoms, but it's got pretty good sized timber and, um, some thick stuff that we don't even go in. Um, right. And so let's see, three years ago would have been you know, 2020. I got mm-hmm. a picture of a really big, I think he was a 10 or an 11. I got one picture of him all year. This was late in the fall. Uh, we'd already all tagged out my brothers and I, um, but I'm like, that's a good deer. And then I'm like, well, let's try to, let's try to find them. So that summer we went in, we put, you know, we got a good, good, uh, relationship with our farmer up there mm-hmm. who, who plants it. And so he, the last two years, he's actually left us like two acres of standing beans, nice. um, Perfect. You know, just, just to hold them. And, and, you know, it's just easy to get them in front of your camera that way. And mm-hmm. so that let's see, it'd be the summer of 21 we were doing a lot of food plots, um, just trying to hone in on this deer just to see if we could pull them in and get them to live there. And we started hanging cameras in July. And the first year that showed up was him. It, so we, <laughs> we, we named him Hollywood. He's, um, only for the fact that he was in front of the camera in daylight all summer, probably three, four times a day. Oh, nice. So wow. we, we knew he was living there. He was on our place. Um, you know, and we knew we had a good chance if, if he kept, that range and kept his core area and we just played it smart. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the fall's getting there and we're amped up, you know, he sheds his velvet and he's still showing up in daylight and he's just, and he's just, he's one of these deer that's, um, it's just that his frame is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, and he's basically a six by six with some kickers mm-hmm. and he's just gorgeous looking. And we put in a plan to go hunt him on a hedgerow coming out of that thick stuff that we never go in. We knew that's where he was living. Um, so we knew we could only hunt it with either a straight South wind or a straight North wind. Um, and so we got two different stands for each. We got a stand we can hunt with a North wind and a stand we can hunt with a South wind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like big deer do, you know, it seems like they know if there's a, if there's a South wind, they're going to be over there with the one that you can hunt with the North wind. So we'd yeah, be hunting yeah. and, and, you Absolutely. know, trail camera ping off and, and there he is right there in daylight. So my brother and I hunted him three times. We actually laid eyes on him once and that was in September. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he was just huge in person. He can't actually, we had him at 30 yards. He came out of the CRP into the beans. Um, he was 30, 30, 35 yards, but he was facing right at us. And I was like, oh. I'm not, not going to take this shot. And he kind of knew he must've caught a swirl um, caught some wind, but he kind of, you know, put his head up and then he knew you know, something was up. Yep. Yep. He, he assessed the situation. He scanned the whole field. There were some does feeding and some smaller bucks feeding at that point. And he kind of, and I'm, you know, I have my, my release hooked on the D loop, just trying to get pulled back. And, uh, you know, I eventually got pulled back and he just kind of turned and walked straight back where he came from and never spooked, but he just kind of went back into that CRP. You could just see the top of his rack going through, and then the next time we hunted him, um, we had planned to go up that next weekend. It was that first October 1st or October 2nd, um, of last year. So we're driving up my brother and I on that Friday and we're all excited. And I, you know, got off work at like five. So obviously we couldn't hunt that Friday evening, but on our way up, he's right there in front of the stand in daylight. I'm like, Oh, oh man. No. <laughs> and, and I'm like this, you know, <laughs> we're like, dang it. But we're like, this is good. And then we, you know, we get up there, we got a little, uh, a cabin on that property that we can stay, which is really nice. Um, mm-hmm. 
so we're sitting there that night. I'm like, dude, we can't go in there in the morning. There's just no way, you know, he's in the beans all night. He's feeding. It's just too risky. Um, so we just made this, all right, we're not going to, we're not going to hunt the mornings early in the year, still October 1st, mm-hmm. but so we don't hunt. We wake up and our, you know, trail cameras just, he's all over them, right. Yeah. From, you know, 15 yards from the stand. We're like, Oh boy. Yeah, but you made a good decision there. Like, exactly. It's a very good decision. I don't think we could have got in there um, clean. And, yeah. you know, whether we spook him or we spook another one that spooks him, I, I just don't think it would have worked out for us. Yeah. And, and, and you don't know where they're at. You know, they could be anywhere in those beans. So yeah. we, we played it safe, didn't go in, got the pictures. We're like, dang it. We're like, can he do it again? <laughs> so we, we, we went out that evening, went out real early saw a handful of deer they were piling in and you know right at last light we heard something coming up the hedgerow we look and he's 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 like six yards Um, right the first time we saw him six yards he's right underneath us and we're frozen sitting there hardly hardly breathing it felt like and it felt like 10 minutes and it was probably five minutes went by and I'm ready to pull back. Just need him to take two more steps. And he actually takes two more steps closer to us. I don't remember the exact yardage, but I remember it was like a negative 68 degree angle, like three yards straight down. Um, Dude, got drawn back tough. without him hearing me. And so I just, you know, arranged him with the, with the zero. And it, I'm like, this is unreal straight down, bend at the waist, you know, at the hips, you know, and, settled my pen and let it eat and we sat there you know we knew we hit him hard he took off and it was right on a hedgerow that butted up to standing corn and we could hear him going through the hedgerow and he was kind of running through the middle of it and he's just tearing tearing through there and then you could hear corn stalks we're like oh yeah he's down the corn um we just kind of freaked out and my brother was a junior in high school last year he's a senior this year and we're just sitting there high-fiving like couldn't believe it i mean we're right above this deer. That shot you're talking about, man, like unless you've ever been in that situation and taken one, you don't understand how difficult that is. Like, if you know that you are hunting out of a tree where there's a good chance that they're going to be right underneath you, you need to take a target out there and, and get up in a tree and try that a few times because it's, it's tough. You know, if that Mm -hmm. deer, Anytime a deer closes in, you know, underneath like 15 yards away from you or whatever, and you've got some height to your tree stand, you're in real bad danger of not getting both lungs. Yep. And when you're shooting down through them like that, holy, if you, if you look at everything, I mean, you, you a single lung hit is a good possibility. Yep. Um, a spine hit is a good possibility. There's a lot that you can hit right there, but man, it's easy to mess up. It's yep. easy to mess up. And for that reason, you know, we climbed down immediately saw good blood, but you know, we're like, yeah, I just, let's be smart. We've been smart this whole time. Yeah. Let's not, exactly. you know, let's not ruin it now. So sleepless night, we backed out <laughs> family all comes up the next morning. We tracked him. I think he went about, probably total 180 yards really if you draw a straight line it was probably 100 yards but he kind of weaved in and out of the thick stuff and then went out into the corn we found him that next morning so that was just awesome nice um but yeah going back to that point i think like i've practiced that shot since then 
mm-hmm. uh, from a tree stand. And so those, so the, the Garmin side, it, it'll, I think my pin is like actually yeah. where my 40 pin would be when you're shooting yeah. that close. And so that's something that I would have never known. And to be honest, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I never practiced that shot before I shot that deer. Um, yeah. Yeah. And most, really guys, most guys that close, they're going to go straight to their 20. Yeah. And chances are they're going to shoot underneath yep. or, or skim the side of that buck. Yeah. And that's yeah. something I never would have thought about trying or, you know, needing to practice. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of, and when we had pictures of him, he wasn't that close to the, to the stand, you know, <laughs> we, we weren't, we still weren't expecting that we were expecting to be, you know, 15, 20 walking yeah. down the, the edge of the crops. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, that's how that one, that one went down. That was, uh, that was awesome. That, and so, you know, that was our, I think that was our third or fourth buck we've taken up there. My dad shot a 175 inch 12 up there. Wow. That was like Jeez. four years ago. Did you and, know what you were looking at on that buck? Did you know, did you, I mean, a lot of times trail camera photos, it's hard to judge deer off mm-hmm. of them sometimes. You know, I mean, it's, it, we would, I'd send it to some buddies, you know, close buddies. I'm like, give me your honest opinion. Like, what do you think he'd go? Yeah. And, you know, they try to do the math in their head and, you know, we'd all be 196 to 203 ish is kind of where we guesstimated. Right. Um, I knew he'd be my biggest to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he would have been, been my biggest for more than a year. Um, <laughs> but that's just, uh, yeah, he, he, he was awesome. Um, you, you can see those pictures on, on my Instagram as well. He's just super tall, super framey, uh, yeah. just a gorgeous buck. Super but, gorgeous. And, nice. and, you know, there's some, Kansas is pretty cool in that you've got that early season. Yep. You know what I mean? And truth be told, I hate to say this, Tennessee. but <laughs> I, cause I, I don't like hunting that season near as much as I like hunting the rut. You sure. know, I, yep. I, I, yep. I love hunting the rut. I love everything about the rut, but if you've got a big deer located during the summer, during the velvet phase, yep. Holy smokes. Are your chances better of killing that deer when he's on his patterns? So much, you know, um, the beautiful thing about the rut is you might never have a photo of a deer, anything, well, a, a big deer on yep. your place. And all of a sudden, bam, you can have him there all of a sudden, but, uh, he, yeah, getting out there after him early like that, when they're patternable, staying out of there in the morning when yep. they're on the food source and, and hunting them in the afternoon, sounds like you did everything right. And that, that little benefit, that feature that you were talking about on that Garmin, Garmin zero, I didn't even realize that it did. Well, I guess I did realize that it did it, but that is a huge feature, man. Yeah. That's a yeah. huge feature. And that's um, just something I didn't even, I didn't realize it at that point. Yeah. Um, that it, that it actually did that. It, it'll choose a, a pin that you need for it. Which yep. I, And if I would have had, you know, a fixed pin, or, you know, just a regular multi-pin site, I would have put my 20 on them. You'd have put your 20 yep. on them. And, and literally now it, I know that when I'm practicing for really close shots on like turkeys and stuff like that, because if you get one within mm-hmm. five yards, five, so close yeah, to like three yards, I'm using like my 50 yard pin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if, there's, there's like when you're aiming down at a deer like that, that's directly underneath your stand. If you have a, a four to six inch deviation and where that arrow hits. Yep. 
that's enough to miss. Yeah. That's enough to miss. Well, maybe yep. not completely if you've got it right in the middle of his back, but definitely enough to just take hair off of his back, yep. you know, or have a flesh wound basically. Yep. Man, man, that's, that's crazy. So, um, you took that deer and then sometime during that season, you got a photo of this new buck. Yeah. So, um, after I'd shot Hollywood last year, um, I was trying to put both my brothers and my dad, you know, on deer. So still running cameras and, and, you know, I like to get out there and hunt with them a little bit, sit in the stand with them. Um, Yeah, like you said, I love the rut too. Yeah, uh, haven't got to experience it with a bow in my hand these last two years, but uh, yeah, oh, I feel the, so bad yeah. for you. The, the reward, <laughs> yeah, the, the reward on the other hand is just fine. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it. But yeah, so we had cameras running, um, and so the steer I shot this year, he actually had like eight nine inch drop time last year. Oh wow! Um, and he had, you know, the same trash going off his g2s so we named him nicknamed him locust kind of like a locust tree with the thorn he looked like he had thorns coming off his antlers uh-huh. um, and i'm like and that's a dang good deer and, and he started showing up middle to the end of november um on that first permission piece i've had you know for a while and he would i think he would have been killable um you know if we really put some time in on him um my brothers both ended up tagging out on on great bucks uh my, my younger brother shot like 150 inch eight pointer. Wow. Um, just a huge eight. And then, um, my middle brother tagged out later in the season two on a great buck with his bow. So it was kind of like, well, you know, we'll, we'll monitor him, make sure he makes it through rifle. Um, and then kind of see where it goes But you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, hey, we got to see what he turns into. I think he, he probably would have been high eighties last year. And, he he was a mainframe eight last year with that big drop and then kickers going everywhere. Um, and he was one of the first deer we got this summer. And I knew he would, you know, I knew it was him just by the matching G twos coming off same frame. He'd got rid of the drop time completely. Um, but he added, you know, G fours on both sides. Isn't that crazy? Mm. Like yeah. it makes yeah. it so hard sometimes to <laughs> you're looking for a main feature like that. And then all of a sudden it's gone. You're wondering whether you're even looking at the same deer now on a deer like so, that, you know, that you are, you know, yeah. cause he's yep. got a bunch of other things that are, you know, really characteristic of that particular buck. But if he wasn't, it, it, let's say that he was just a, you know, an average size, you know, mainframe eight or, or 10. And yep. all of a sudden that, Drop time's gone. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, and we could tell, you know, all late summer, early into this fall, this deer's body was just huge. Um, I bet you this deer was six and a half. I think he was five and a half last year when we passed him. Mm. I think he was six and a half this year. Um, and we, he, he was just the bully buck. He, you know, he dominated the area. Um, so we, you know, we hunted this year a little bit for him early, you know, just some observation sits. Um, and so I had gotten that permission piece that was right up to where I had permission, um, uh, which was awesome. They had cut beans actually this year, but the neighbors, uh, off to them had cut corn. And so I'd noticed in my observation sits, all these deer are funneling to this cut corn. And I'm like, that's, you know, early October, I get a cold front. That's where I need to be. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I think they're going to be targeting that food, um, you know, scent checking does. I'd set a camera up and a stand up right there, kind of where I thought they were, you know, crossing that cut bean field through the hedgerow into the cut corn. And sure enough that I think that first morning I had the camera out, right? there it was uh, just huge. I'm like, holy cow. Uh, I showed my fiance the picture. She goes, that one's bigger than last year's, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy. She knew right yeah. off. I'm like, oh boy. Um, so, you know, then we're like, all right, let's go all in. So at that point, my brother and I were like, we just got to play the, play the weather here. Um, and this piece that, that we're hunting, I mean, every time we'd sit for an observation, we'd see, you know, everywhere from 35 to 50 deer a night. It was, so it's, and it's really risky to get in there close with all yeah. those deer, especially in October. It's a um, lot of eyes. Yeah. So we had kind of set up, you know, only, we'd only hunt it with a bulletproof wind. Um, and even if there was a great cold front, if there's a little bit of swirl in there, we were like, nope. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's too, too difficult to trick that many deer. Um, yeah. and you know, we're seeing, I think we hunted three times before we killed them this year, maybe four. And we were seeing, you know, solid 150 inch couple, I think a couple one sixties. Um, and we'd passed them. And then, you know, it's that, I think that fourth time was the first time we'd seen him. Um, we're sitting there, we had a nice 10 pointer in the field and we had a little spike about 20 yards from us. They kept looking back. We couldn't see where they were looking, but they kept staring back that way. And then this buck came in and he came in kind of like trotting and, uh, he kind of threw his head around and, and, and poked the little buck off. So I got pulled back on him and he was probably 25, 26 yards and I'd stopped him. And I, I looking back now, I think that was a mistake of stopping him with my mouth. Mm -hmm. And when I shot, he kind of tensed and kind of, he ducked, but it was more of like, a his body kind of convulsed back to the middle mm -hmm. and immediately I knew I'd hit him in the shoulder. So then, and I, I could see penetration and he tucked his tail and, and booked it out of the fields, but immediately I was sick to my stomach. I'm like, no, oh, you know, I'm like, dang it. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I just got to figure out how much penetration we got, you know? So then the emotions start flying and you're just replaying it back and back. Um, and, you know, called some guys decided the best thing to do is just back out. It's going to get cold. It was, I think it was like down to 35 that night. So we're like, just leave them overnight. We'll see what happens. I actually ended up going into work the next morning. I had a couple in-person meetings. Um, so about 9am I had my brother sneak out and just kind of trail him a little bit and just kind of see what he found while I was at work. So I'm sitting there just, just yeah, phone, phone in your lap. Just like yeah. anything, anything, anything. He's like, dude, I've taken 10 steps. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, he ends up finding the arrow and we're like, okay, we got seven inches penetration. I'm like I got, had to have gotten one lung. So yeah. then we're kind of like, okay, it's good. Um, he's angling down. There's a big pond on this place. Uh, and kind of the Creek system kind of works to the dam and he's angling right down there. And so I'm like, all right, just ease in there. And he doesn't have a bow or anything. He's just super quiet by himself, sneaking through and just seeing if he can see this buck, you know, dead or, or, or just laying there anywhere. And he comes up on him and the buck's still alive, but he was in a, 
like in a uh, brush pile in the center of it. Yeah. He, he crawled in there right. and he's like, dude, he was looking right at me and I walked away and he didn't move. And so we're like, yeah, All so right. he was sick. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, at, after we had, we addressed him and stuff, I did get one lung. Um, but this was, you know, 16 hours later. Yeah. And he's still, so we were, we were able to sneak in and get a follow-up shot, you know, right away um to to get him recovered which you know he hate having to do it but it happens you know it's in all admit it, it you know wasn't a great first shot but we, you know we played it smart and and did what we had to do and and um it just shows how tough these things are too man oh my gosh Absolutely. man white tails and elk those two it's, critters it's those two a, critters are just to live yeah. it is yeah. beyond 16 hours so like when you came up on him was it full 24 hours after you had shot him when you, when you had to go in and take the follow-up? No, it was probably 18 and 19 um, okay. early afternoon. Um, did he get up and try and go, did he try to go anywhere or did he no. let you come in on him? Yeah. I got five yards, I think. Okay. So yeah, yeah. he, so um, he was probably going, he, he was going to die there anyway. Probably. Yeah. 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 And you know, just just being as ethical as possible. You know, in my opinion, that's the right thing to do is get in get another, another arrow in them. Um, yep. Just because I've seen, I've seen how strong they are before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's how that, and so then, you know, again, it's like got to call the family and, and it's kind of become like a little tradition. We get all, try to get all of us, you know, my mom, my dad, and my two brothers uh, try you know, every year now, no matter who shoots it, we all go out. And so it's had to pull him up that pond dam and he, I'm telling you, he was the biggest body deer I'd ever shot in my life. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we didn't put a scale on him, but I mean, if he wasn't 285 plus, I don't know what was, you know, it's, he was huge. Yeah. But that was, that was awesome. And it, it really, it didn't really set in that, you know, this deer's bigger than last year's until we walked up on him. And it, like, there really wasn't any words between my mom, dad, and brothers and I, it was kind of like our, our mouths were stuck open. Uh, we're like, we're like, no way. Like what? And you go, you put your hands on like, holy cow. You know, it Jeez. felt like baseball bats he's got on his head. Um, so yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. But, you know, again, it's just playing it smart. Um, playing the wind is, is the biggest thing. And just, just not, not busting them out of there, um, before your odds are the highest. And I know yeah. like with both of these deer, I probably could have taken some more chances and shot them two hunts earlier, but mm -hmm. it, it could have really ruined my chances at actually harvesting them, you know, when I did. Well, during that time of year, you know, I, I, I actually, during the rut, there's times where I think that we give deer too much credit. You yep. know what I mean? Like yep. you bump a deer, if there's hot does in that area, they're, they're you bumping that gear doesn't mean a dang thing. Ninety percent of the time they're back, no. but those older age class deer like that, and not just the buck, but the older does in that area. Yep. Mm -hmm. If you bump them off of a food source that they're consistently coming to, yeah, you can screw up that entire pattern. You know, yeah. and maybe he, they do end up coming back to it, but maybe it's four or five days, and you lose those four or five days to hunt them. You yep. know. Um, and it, it sounds like you did everything absolutely textbook. Well, even those big, like you said, those old does I've had them where we'll get busted by an old doe and a couple fawns 
Yeah. And I won't even hunt that stand again. I'll move the stand if I can. And yeah. I'll have her come out and she'll look up into the existing stand tree Yep. and just kind of eye it out. And I don't, she, you know, she could be getting a little whiff, but she just, I mean, just like that knows. Yeah. And it's just crazy, man. So, but yeah. Um, and like I said, like my goal was never to go out and shoot two, two hundreds. Um, I think, you know, the whole score thing's cool. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a bonus on top though. It's really, we're hunting maturity. Um, yeah. crazy to say, but the coolest year of, of my year so far was my mom got her first buck with a, with a crossbow. Yeah. And awesome. that was up at the farm and it, this is an eight, eight and a half year old buck, uh, eight pointer, I think it's 135 inches, 138 inches, baby. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just see, we had basically started growing that deer when we first started putting the habitat stuff in and we'd watched them every single year on the farm. And then my mom ended up getting them with a crossbow. And that was, I mean, that was like probably the highlight of my, of my season you yeah, know, it's even, a highlight. Like when you get to take one like that out of the gene pool, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, and celebration. eight point that is going around and breeding everybody under the oh, sun, you know, dude, his face was completely white and gray and his body was huge. Um, and yeah, it's just my mom, you know, it's her first year hunting. She'd always yeah. been around it just because of us, us boys. Uh, but that was super awesome to see how pumped she was. So it's, yeah. it's like hunting mature deer. That's just our thing. And if, you know, it's just a bonus if they got, you know, if you're in the right areas and you got the right kind of pressure um, and you can let them get to an age class, you got a good chance to let them, you know, they'll get big. Yeah. Adam. So the management stuff that you guys have done, a couple of questions, like one, how big is that tract? And what were some of the first things that you guys started implementing? in that process. Yeah. So that piece is 156 acres, I think on the dot. Yeah, so a quarter section essentially. Yep. And so I've mentioned, so we got really good CRP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's gotta be there, which I love it. CRP is mm-hmm. awesome. We got ag, we got timber and we got water. We got a Creek running through it and a big pond on the place. Okay. So at this point, you know, when we're, we're like, okay, well, we're already holding deer, but I'd, I, I really think we could hold a lot more. Um, if we, you know, we'd go out those first couple of years hunting it and we'd see four or five deer in a sit and we'd be like, this is awesome. But, you know, as we're like, we could really be holding more deer, um, you know, providing places for them to live and feel safe. So what we did is we took probably a 15 to 20 acre parcel of the timber. And we kind of just imaginary fence it off. We're never going in there unless we're shed hunting yeah. or, or, or trailing a deer. Basically just created that sanctuary. Yeah. And it's, it, I mean, really after shed hunting it last year, you couldn't even hunt in there. It's just so thick. Uh, we did some TSI work, uh, trimming some, you know, cut, cutting some of the, the more invasive trees down, creating some kind of like, brushy bedding spots um, and getting some of that sun through the floor, but you still couldn't even hunt in there. It's just so thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd maybe have to be three feet off the ground and you could shoot 10 yards in each direction. So yep. that was the first thing. And that was probably the easiest thing we did, but I think it's really made the most impact um, on that place. The second things we did is we put in some kill plots. Um, and a lot of those kill plots, we don't have, 
you know, we have access to some machinery that, you know, our farmer, he'll let us, you know, use some of his tractors or he'll, he'll even do it for us. He's awesome. But some of these spots are just in the timber. You can't get machinery in there. Mm-hmm. So we would go in there and clear them out with, with, with chainsaws and, and rake them with our hands. And, you know, we've brought in push tiller, push roto tillers that you push, you know, you walk behind, um, no till some, some clover in, and just, I think we put four or five different micro plots just in strategic areas around that farm, knowing that this is not where they're getting their main food from, you know, they're, they're going to the ag fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've actually used some trail systems too. We cut in some main trails and it's not really on that farm up North. We don't really hunt the timber too often and you can, there's some great spots in the timber, but I mean, from, from what we've seen, you can just kind of hunt the edges and let right. those deer funnel out to you and using those trails to, you know, really get good trail cam picks and figure out, okay, he's going east to west and, you know, he's going to pop up in that big plot. Um, but having, you know, like I said, having the farmer there to plant the beans for us, that's been huge. Um, you know, I got a, a cell cam on it right now and we get, you know, 25 to 30 deer in the plot every night in daylight, which is something that we were just dreaming about happening four years ago. And now it's, you know, reality and you get to sit there in a box blind and that we've built and, and, you know, watch them do their thing. And it's just cool. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much what we've done. Um, CRP we've left and left it just stay thick. And I think that's really helped. Um, those bucks will really, when they get in that lockdown phase, they'll kind of find like a plum thicket or something out in the middle of the CRP and just lay there all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can, you can just see steam coming out of the CRP and you just know that there's probably a buck in a doe bedded. Um, but yeah, it's just, and you know, we've been very fortunate to have, it's kind of like a little, like a, it was a blank canvas when we started. Um, and, you know, we didn't have a ton, ton of experience. Um, you know, my dad really started hunting when I started hunting. Um, my grandpa kind of got me into it a little bit. So it's not like we'd done it my dad had grown up, grown up doing it. Um, we mm-hmm. kind of just self-taught and, you know, just kind of pulling information from everybody I could. And it's, it's been cool to kind of see it run its course. And now we're, we're holding those deer numbers and, and seeing the, you know, the mature looking deer. And, and it's just crazy what, what can go, what can happen once they get to that five-year-old plus age. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That jump, that, <laughs> that jump that happens from four to five can be pretty astonishing. Oh, it's crazy. We, yeah. our farmer just actually texted me yesterday, some bad news. He found two bucks locked up in, oh. the, in the hedgerow Dude. Um, that I shot the one last year and they're probably, probably two one sixties. And that's, yeah. that's probably sh- shy on what they would score but there were 40 yards from where i shot the one last year and um the crazy thing is i don't have a picture of any of those deer wow and they're they're both nice evan and i just did a podcast last week (laughs) talking with a guy that uh that shot a buck that was locked down locked together with another buck and the other buck was already dead and he killed the one that was still alive but uh man the like 150 inch and up whitetail bucks are so susceptible to locking up like that it's the the shape of their rack or something we were talking about how we never see it happen we hardly ever see it happen with mule deer you know yeah um and and especially i mean looking at look at the two bucks 
Bailey that you've killed, like if they have any kind of that genetic with, I mean, those, the twos and threes and fours on last year's buck. And, and again, guys, I'm able to see this deer on this mount behind Bailey, but you can see him on his Instagram page. There is so much time length there to create torque and allow those bucks to get so deep yeah. into one another. You run one of those tines through an eye socket. Oh, yeah. And that, that, cranial cavity is so close to that that yeah well, it's, it's a bummer it's, way to lose dumb, them you know and yeah. it, it seems like when they when they hit that maturity it's always 150 plus bucks that seem to be locked together yeah, yeah i've yeah. rarely ever seen little spindly three-year-olds locked no. together or anything like that no you know? and i don't know how these bucks did it but they are their heads are facing opposite directions so looking at the picture one nose is down and one nose is up and I can throw this on my Instagram, this picture, but it's one of the wildest things. I don't know how they got locked up like this, but it's almost like he went to go like, again, like we talked about cranking on that neck to get leverage yeah. and somehow a beam got locked underneath the opposite side as he was cranking somehow. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just astonishing, but he, our farmer had just texted me that yesterday um, so that's a bummer, uh, bummer to see, but thinking about it more in depth, I'm like, okay, you know, that's most likely happened late October, early, early November. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have one picture of any of those bucks and they're both 155, 160 inch class deer. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I should have had pictures of them theoretically, but I really think just the habitat work and, and the stuff we've done has housed so many new does on the place to where yeah. we're getting we're getting neighbor bucks coming in. Obviously they're territorial, they're fighting, getting locked up. But it's yeah, so, I mean it's just cool to see when you and you know, most people would say, Oh, they are fighting, but I'm sitting there thinking, you know what, why were they on our place? And how come I didn't know about them? Yeah. You know, there's something yeah. they liked. It's just like you were talking about earlier, these deer, you know, you're planting food plots. Most of your plots are sounds like are kill plots, micro plots. Yep. Um, giving them something while they're on their way back in transition to that, stop yeah, by to to nibble on in front yep. of a stand or something. But they're getting most of their feed from the ag that's around. So it sounds like like the number one thing that you've done is number one uh created a sanctuary yep where they are safe yep and they you, you don't ever go in there that that is an awesome thing to do if you have the ground and, and the space to do it that is that is really key it sounds like to me yeah um and then number two is you know hunting those bucks before they get in that roman stage yep. you know now if you're holding quite a few does, there's a good chance that they stick right around there anyway, and that they do a lot of their rutting right in that area. But you never know. Yep. Exactly. Yep. You know. Yeah. You could have one of those younger bucks them off, you know, a mile away or whatever like that. And when he breaks off of that doe, if he finds another hot doe over there, now the next thing you know, he's spent half of the you know mm-hmm. a week of the rut over on a neighbor's place. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And like, just going back to that sanctuary, you know, we'll find 80% of our sheds in that, you know, it might be bigger than 20 acres. It's kind of hard to think about just, just sitting there thinking about it, but it's, I mean, it's a good size block of timber. Right. Yeah. And we probably find 80% of our sheds every year in that block of timber. And it's, you know, it's just where those bucks are going to bed up 
you know, through the day. And then it's easy access for them to stage right out to this, those little micro plots, those grain plots, and then get out into the grain. For the rest what, of are you, what are you primarily planting in your micro plots? Now, are you in a part of, I don't want to pinpoint where you are in Kansas by any means, but uh, is it pretty dry land? No, um, we're Northeastern. So okay. Okay. we're getting, we, we, we've been pretty fortunate with our rain. I know I got buddies out West Hayes area. They've, oh. they've been, I mean, their Milo's just Western been Kansas was horrible this yeah. year. Horrible. Yeah. So it's, it's been, we've been pretty fortunate. Um, I've talked to our farmer. He said, you know, there, and there's still some dry spells, but it's nothing. I mean, you can't even say it's been bad compared to what the rest of the state has. So, yeah. you know, one thing I've really started to, to, to enjoy using as a microplot is just clover. And it's just going to your local co-op and getting, you know, red clover, white clover, whatever mix you want and just keep establishing it and keep mowing it and keep establishing it and keep mowing it because it's something that'll continue to come back every year. And it's just mm-hmm. being less invasive. Like I can go in there once early summer and once, you know, late summer, you know, around August, mow them each time, just mow the, mow the tops of them off mm-hmm. right before rain. And if you get that yeah. rain, then it's like, it's just, I mean, I think it's a weed technically. So it just spreads and mm-hmm. it gets thick and, and it thickens up really quick. Yeah. And then you get that frost and it comes, becomes really palatable to those, to those deer. And they just sit in there and, and wipe it out. So one of my issues now up there is a couple kill pots we've had that have been, that it's grown really good is now they're just dirt. They've eaten every piece of clover. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's for the, for the amount of deer that you are now housing yep. your plots. not big Yeah. So we're going, that's our, we've, we've already been kind of chatting. We're going to go up there, you know, shed season and, and kind of bust that plot open a little bit, a little bit bigger. Um, and it's, you know, get rid of some of the cedars that are kind of in there and just kind of make it bigger make it, you know, because this year, especially up there, um, even though there wasn't, you know, really big, big buck that we were trying to target, um, you know, it's, if we wanted to shoot a buck, we could have killed him in that plot multiple mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And it's, and it's just, and it's been, that's a spot that we haven't had that kind of action in, in the last three years. And it's just, as that clover has been getting matured and, and kind of established in that spot, it's just been getting better and better. So that's been cool to see, but I've done yeah. turnips. Um, turnips has been all right. Uh, they, from what I noticed, they'll hit them mid October. Eat the leaves really, really, really hard. Um, but being next to like cut corn, I think if you had turnips and cut corn, I think they're going to go to the cut corn, you know, late, really? late, late season, even though I got, you know, bulbs that are the size of softballs. Yeah. Uh, I just hadn't had very good luck with that being a great winter source to pull, you know, multiple deer into at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, other than that, we've really enjoyed planting soybeans or having the farmer plant them. And so they'll be green in the, in the summer and early season. So you, you got your green plot there early and then they taper off, you know, late September, early through October. And then, uh, that's when you're kind of focusing on your micro plots anyways, on your clover and stuff. But then like right now it's just been like middle November on, it's been dynamite. They're in there getting, getting the grain already. So us western guys don't know a whole lot about food plots do we evan <laughs> dude you can't nope. make a dang thing grow out here you know i wish we could and, and even even some of the permission pieces i have where 
Um, one of them this year ran beans. A couple other ones were running corn. Like requesting, hey, can you leave this small section of beans in in this corner for me? And would you would you leave a row every header width standing for me? You know, and and knowing it's going to cost them, you know, a hundred bucks on the field, yep. whatever it is. I'll pay you the hundred bucks to leave that standing. Absolutely. They won't do it. Really? Nope. Nope. And, and I can't blame them, but at the same point, it's like, all right, as soon as you take those out, where are these deer going to go? Because now they don't have a food source. Yep. So yeah. And that's, my, we've my, been fortunate. Like I said, with our farmer, he's been, he's been great about it. Um, and you know, we, I'm like, just let me know how much the seed costs. And then obviously diesel's crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. like diesel. I mean, tell me your, give me your costs and I'll give you, you know, extra. Um, and he's just been awesome about it. He never, never tries to charge us. He just, you know, he enjoys it too. Cause he's never really seen it like that. Um, as far as the deer population, just right there in that little area. And so he's, yeah. he's thinking of school. He called when he called me yesterday about those, those deadheads. He's like, I've never seen this in my life. And I'm like, that's crazy. But <laughs> your, your gut is wrenching inside <laughs> and he's all excited about it. Like, this is cool. You're like, no. yeah, it is. Yay. No. <laughs> oh yeah. That but, is such a bummer. Well, that's, Pretty dang incredible feat, man. Um, <laughs> I I don't want to I don't want to speak out of turn here, but um, we'll see how long it is to kill another two hundred inch guy. I don't care how <laughs> what part of the country you're in or anything else, man. It takes it, it takes a special buck to get above that number. It does. Well, then he almost he had that one ninety nine that was killed the year before. Yeah, that's man. I mean, he almost made it three in a row. <laughs> Gosh, it, like what, you know, what's funny in I've done this with a couple of states, but um, Kansas was one of the states that I did it with, and I, I did a little research on uh, just counties that were producing big deer, and yeah. and really when you go into um, uh, a any records that you have like through the Pope and young or Boone Crockett or anything like that, uh, you have the total score, but you, you don't know exactly. You, you don't know whether that was a 150 inch frame buck with a bunch of junk. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? Um, you know what you're getting on the typical side of things, but usually when you're getting bucks that are getting up there above 200 inches, they're not usually yeah. typicals they are usually non-typicals. Yep. And yep. so you don't know exactly what you're getting, but if you pay attention to like the base, the, the mass measurements and the uh, uh, main beam lengths, now yep. you can start to get a feel for what kind of frames we're talking about, you know? Yep. Yep. And yep. like with your buck right there, you, how many inches of, of uh, 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 kickers did you say you had? On the one 15 inches of Ohio yep. mass, 15, okay. 15 inches of, of Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, he's got like all these kickers are, are big. He's got these ones coming off the front. He's yeah, got but his, his frame and his mass are yeah, like, just when you're, when you're still talking hundred yeah, it's you know, mid to upper one eighties on a typical frame. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that was what I was looking for when I was doing this research. And I was looking for counties that were producing those kinds of frames, you know, most consistently. And And they're all in Ohio and Iowa, aren't they? Well, what you what (laughs) what you start to figure out is that 
you know, a state like Kansas, every county will produce one of those, you know, one or two of those in a five year period. But then you've yep. got certain counties that are producing, uh, you know, six to a dozen yeah. in a five year period. You know what I mean? Yep. And mm-hmm. when you start hashtagging all these counties with how many it produced, all of a sudden you end up with little pockets. Yep. And you have you you end up with pockets of counties that are all touching together yep. where that the, the deer have the genetics to do that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And Danny's already done this research and I'm lucky enough to <laughs> have some inside information on Danny's hunting. <laughs> well, so, no, and you know some, what? Honestly, some questions I've had for the last 12 years I've known you are now being answered. To tell you so, the God honest truth, Evan, I'm not hunting in one of the clusters. The reason that I'm not hunting in one of those clusters is because there's less options there for me. Like, you know, it, it usually when you find those clusters, all of you, you've got places leased up yep. left and right. Yep. Um, a lot of those places have less walk in, less public mm-hmm. access. Um, and that's part of the reason that the deer get that big in that area. But it's usually known that deer in that area are those that those areas produce big deer, yep. which is and why those non-residents are coming in and paying the leases and trying exactly. to get that land locked up. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. And if you're fortunate enough to have family in one of those, then uh, then, man, you ought to thank your lucky stars. Exactly. I've been I, I mean, I know for me, I've been super lucky just to have the chance to chase two of these deer. Um, and it's just, you know, if I could if I could give any advice to, to guys trying to chase big deer, it's just create good relationships with landowners, help them out, offer, you know, your time, your free time in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that a guy could do on a Saturday on a, you know, in July, mm-hmm. you can go into the lake, do whatever, but you know, maybe you need to go out there and trim some trees for, for somebody who you have permission on, you know, maybe they're, they, they're not capable of doing it themselves or, you know, just, Hey, you need your grass mode or you need your, that ditch we did. And it's just things like that, little things, um, that'll help you, you know, not only keep the permission, but it'll keep it exclusive to yourself. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, being a good person, there's going to be plenty of times where you go knock on a door, um, and you get, you know, sorry, we got family hunting and you just yeah. be respectful about it. You know, you know, yeah. and it's just, you know, I think that the more respectful you can be about it when you're, you know, if you don't have family owned ground, which really I don't have any, um, yeah. my parents have, uh, seven acres, which they, my brother shot a 160 off it this year, <laughs> but <laughs> there's your, there's your pocket of, of the right area. Um, but really we, we have seven acres that my parents own that's huntable. Um, and the rest is just permission stuff, but it's just creating good relationships and, and helping out and, um, yeah. And like, like, like I've said, it's just getting them to that age, taking a risk, um, on letting them go, which, uh, can be really scary. You know, I know this year, even I've got three or four different three-year-olds that I'm like, mm, please get yeah. through rifle, please get through rifle. Um, uh, you know, just kind of sitting there every night with my fingers crossed. But if, if yeah. you take those chances there, you know, there's a good chance they turn into something special. So now yeah. you and are your cameras still active? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so now, so you see, it would say today's the 14th. Your, your season is over as far as rifle yep. season. So have you seen those bucks still around? Yep. Yep. So perfect. Yep. I think, uh, 
going back to the, the habitat stuff, just having everything they need on that 150 acre piece, that one yep. quarter section has really helped them kind of stay there and not feel mm. the need to leave. Um, and so, yeah, we've gotten pictures of all of, of three out of the four. Um, and I think the fourth one, the farmer saw the other night. So I think we're, nice. we're pretty good. So any, you know, weather bearing and, you know, sickness and as long as they stay healthy and, and survive, you know, the, you know, the winters can get tough here too. Um, yeah. But that's why we keep the food there for them. Um, and that's one of my favorite things to do is just go sit in that box blind and just watch them come out, just watch them do, do their thing. So yep, yep. keeping them, keeping them healthy, healthy through the winter and keeping them fed. Well, and having that thick sanctuary too, like that's, that's going to be a huge factor when those winds really start picking up and that snow is blowing, they have a place to go and get out of it. Yep. And having, having those furs and evergreens yep. where they can really tuck up and, you know, keep their body temperatures higher and not have those exposure levels. That's only going to help that whole situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I know one thing I haven't hit on is I have a little bit, but the use of trail cameras has really, really changed the game. Um, not only with, you know, getting the patterns of a deer, but just locating deer. Mm -hmm. um, so I like this year, um, I didn't have permission on the place where I killed them until late September. So I was like, well, you know, it might be a later in the year thing. I'm going to try to find another buck. So it's just, and in the state of Kansas, you can, you can put something that'll feed out, you know, a bag of corn in front of your camera. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I tend to do that wherever I go. If it's, if it's on private, if okay, it's allowed yeah. um, just because you're going to get all the deer concentrated in front of that camera and mm -hmm. really easily, you know, tell what's in that area. So I, you know, starting the year out, I was actually hunting a different deer and I think he probably would have been high eighties, low nineties. Um, and you can ask, uh, Chad Van Camp about that one. We had a little nickname for him that we we're going back and forth, but, um, so that's another one that I'll be trying to get through, you know, next year, but it's just using trail cameras like that finding deer. And this is a piece that I didn't even know that there'd be any bucks on any deer in general. And I, you know, threw a camera up and bam, there he was. And, uh, just another permission piece that, that we had. And so it's just little things like that, getting as many cameras out you know, just scouting. And if, you know, if you see deer and they're not what you want, just keep it in the back of your mind. Cause in a couple of years, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, they could turn into something special. Yep. And that's, you know, any of you that follow, especially Midwest whitetail or, you know, Lee and Tiffany and yeah. you know, those big whitetail guys, like they catalog deer like crazy. Yep. Here's, here's a shed off this buck when he's two and a half and here's three and a half and four and a half and five and a half. And, you know, here he is at six and a half. It's like, geez, like the history that they have with so many of the animals that are on their pieces. Yep. Yep. It's been crazy. So, well, that is uh that's a spectacular feat, man. Um, I, I can honestly say I, I had an opportunity at one buck, um, years ago uh that we that we thought was going to hit that number and that's the only one that i've ever had an opportunity at and he he ducked me really just like you're talking about yep. yeah that deer that deer ducked me um it can be a it can be a real issue and it it sounds like that you were so close to having that happen to you on that deer yep. <laughs> you I, know? it really was that's, 
that's such a catch 22, whether to, whether to try and get their attention and stop them or wait for them to stop. And, you know, every situation's different, man. If you don't stop them on some situations, they're going to walk right out of your life and you can't, you know, and then the time that you do stop them, you don't know whether to, as soon as you start holding low, yep, then they don't move. They don't move. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's you know all I mean? it's all hindsight with that stuff. Yeah. And you can try oh, to read their body language, but you know, in my situation, yeah, I, just, I stopped them and I'm like, I'm gonna just put it right on them. Um, yeah. but, you know, it's just all spur of the moment. I, you know, how long are you gonna yeah. sit there and think about it with them stopped at yep. 26 yards? Um, but you know, it yeah, and that 26 is like that is the place where they can duck you completely yep. or, you know, duck you bad enough to where you get backstrap yep. them or something exactly. like that. Exactly. You know? So I'm just kind of I'm fortunate I got enough enough penetration and then fortunate enough that we played it smart and um you know backed yeah, out. Yeah, you made all the you made all the right decisions with mm-hmm. this, man. I, you know, For regardless sure. of whether you have whether you live in a place where deer can get that big or not, you can take all this information and it, just relate it straight over to your property, you know, to, for hunting the, the best of what you, your properties have to offer. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and there's, there's tons of good advice to glean from this, but man, we appreciate you coming on. Can't wait to see what you do next year. Hopefully we're uh, having another conversation just like this. I'm mm-hmm. assuming you dude, you need to hurt. You need to hit Kurt Wells up uh, over there at bow hunter. We, we featured that story uh, about your 2021 buck. Uh, you got to do a follow-up story Absolutely. on this 2022 buck. Dude. Yeah, we got it. Just let Kurt know, yeah. and I'll uh, I'll get with him. That'd be that'd be cool. I'll holler, I'll holler at him. A bit, tell him uh, be a cool thing. Yeah, that'd be really awesome. But we appreciate you coming on. Hope everybody enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, Bailey. Yep. Thank you, guys. Hey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that story from the season from Bailey Patton. We at Hoyt want to hear your interesting, crazy stories that happened this last season. If you've got one, head over to the. Hoyt tagged out Instagram page and direct message us there. Just give us a little summary of what happened to you. And we're going to be choosing listeners to have on the podcast to tell their story from the season. So head over to Hoyt tagged out direct message us what happened to you this season. And hopefully we'll get you here on the podcast. Mm-hmm.